0: Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hi everybody, I hope you're doing amazing. I'm in a pretty good mood today, not entirely sure why. Maybe because it's March and that means that the days are going to start getting warmer and longer and, you know, I actually don't hate winter, but I just really need some sunshine back in my life. I miss getting outside. I miss going on long walks. I miss doing outdoor activities. And I'm not normally this person to, like, complain about winter because I don't mind it. But at this point, I'm very over it, and I just I just want the sun back. So if you're with me, try to stay positive because it's coming, and... I think this weekend's actually supposed to be really warm where I'm from. So, if you're from the GTA 2, I think it's supposed to be like 15 degrees Celsius this weekend. So, I think it's also raining. Don't get too excited. But that means that the snow is going to start to melt and we can all have a little more joy in our lives. So, anyway, today I absolutely loved this conversation with our guest, Rachel. I just think that we related on so many different levels and She talks about her own personal mental health journey with depression and kind of how sensitive she was as a kid and how she kind of grew up to think that that was a huge weakness. But now working as a cognitive behavioral therapy coach with the Canadian Mental Health Association, she's learning that it's actually an asset in her work to have this empathy for the clients that she's working for and to kind of feel these things and use it in a positive way. So I love that as I say all the time on this podcast, I think like using your mental illness as a superpower is such a strength. And I absolutely love hearing stories like this and we're all at different places in our healing journey. And Rachel will also say in this conversation that she's learning to use it as her strength rather than a weakness. She's not really at a place yet where she's completely comfortable in saying that. But I think even just acknowledging and accepting the fact that it could be used as a strength is step one. And really kind of makes that light at the end of the tunnel a little bit brighter but then also in this episode she talks about bounce back which is the program that she works for it is a local free resource and i'm first off gonna say if you're interested please 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 check it out they have resources for people aged 15 and up and it's both independent learning and connecting with a coach which is rachel's position so the website is linked in the episode notes. so please feel free to check it out if you're interested And yeah, I just hope you enjoy. There's lots of information. We kind of go a few different directions here. We talk about EMDR. We talk about creating a toolkit for coping skills and so much more. So if you like this episode, please don't forget to rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on and send me a message. Let me know what you thought because I love hearing your feedback and it just makes me so happy to know that the content that I'm putting out kind of hits home with people and has a positive impact on you. So once again, thank you so much for listening to The Revolutionized Mind and enjoy. So today I'm here with Rachel Summers, who is a mental health advocate and coach with a program called Bounce Back that is associated with the Canadian Mental Health Association. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that today as well as her story. So how are you doing today, Rachel?
1: I'm good. I'm doing pretty good today. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm excited to learn more. I've seen a lot about Bounce Back and just CMHA has a lot to offer. So I'm excited to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit about Bounce Back. And I know that we've kind of been social media friends through the mental health world. So it's nice to share a little bit more with you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit more about who you are outside of work?
1: Outside of work. Yeah, well, work is a big piece of me, because I do work in the mental health industry, as you said, Bounce Back is a cognitive behavioral therapy program that's run by CMHA, or Canadian Mental Health Association. And I guess I have a bit of an unconventional uh, journey to this place. So I actually went to business school, and I did a lot of traveling, was really focused in of extreme sports and through all of that in my early 20s just kind of realized that a lot of what I was seeking out was allowing me to not really deal with my mental health and I got to a place where it wasn't really something I could ignore I really needed to address my mental health and one of the things I started doing was volunteering with CMHA. This was back in 2018, probably. And it was a support for depression group. And I started leading a group. I really enjoyed it. I got some feedback that I had a bit of skill <laughs> for it. So when the bounce back position became available, I just kind of jumped at the opportunity. And that was over two years ago now. And I couldn't really imagine doing, doing anything else.
0: Amazing. What actually made you want to get involved in the mental health community if you were a business student and kind of going a different route?
1: Yes. Well, I was definitely kind of your non-traditional business student. I was kind of interested in the business world because my parents had owned or founded and owned their own business when I was about 14, 15. So quite a influential time in my life. My parents started a business. I was really taken by it and inspired and wanted to be involved. So I went the business school route, um, but became um, it became very obvious that I was maybe someone that had softer skills as opposed to analytical or financial. Definitely, I did not belong in an accounting class or a finance class. <laughs> so that was just something that felt really uncomfortable to me, and I just kind of was that person for a lot of people in terms of mental health as someone that they turned to. At this time in my life, my brother was uh, struggling with quite a severe addiction. Um, And I think in a lot of ways I just wanted to, to help. And because it didn't seem like I was having much impact with my own family and my own brother's mental health, I thought maybe I could have an impact with, with something else or with someone else. So I think that really took me in that direction. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry you and your family had to experience that, but it's nice that you found kind of something that you were more passionate about and maybe felt like more strongly about going to school, going to work for these things that you could actually make a direct impact in something you enjoyed. So that's awesome. I love hearing that. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more about your own personal mental health journey and what that's looked like, especially when your brother was going through such a tough time? How did that impact you?
1: Yeah, well, I think something that like we talk about now and the types of conversations that are being held now and, and shared now was just not something that was available to me as probably a 12, 13-year-old that was starting to struggle with. Um, Definitely symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of low moods. I think beyond all of the diagnosable disorders, I was just a very sensitive person. I I still am. In the world we're living in right now, um, like as we're recording this, we're newly into a a war, we're into a multi-year pandemic, and I feel these things quite intensely. So I was really just a young person with a lot of emotions and not a lot of tools in terms of how to navigate them, make them maybe work for me as opposed to against me in terms of this intensity. So I I definitely was struggling a lot with anxiety around school, around sports, I did a lot of Uh, competitive cycling and skiing growing up and there were a lot of factors that contributed to me stopping that but one of the factors was just the nerves i would experience before a race Um, you know weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of a race when i'm 12 years old and the anticipatory anxiety was paralyzing you know it was it was so consuming and I didn't really know any strategies to to deal with that. Um, it just felt like something I couldn't win, and that resulted in me just kind of bowing out from a, a lot of those opportunities or or different paths. So that was young Rachel, <laughs> just just a feeler, a, a little anxious <laughs> little gal. Um, and then when my brother started struggling with addiction. It was quite challenging because I noticed the parallels between how he was feeling and how I was feeling, but we had very different ways of coping with it. And I definitely took on the role of savior or, or martyr um, because I did not turn to addiction when I was struggling. So I thought, oh, I'm going to show him you know, how you can deal with this. So I ended up starting therapy, I think, at 18 was the first time I went to a therapist, maybe 17 or 18. Um, I've worked with a variety of different therapists since then, a bunch of different modalities in terms of, you know, CBT or DBT, EMDR. But in, in terms of a turning point in terms of my mental health, definitely around that 18, early 20s. Was when there was a lot of trauma being compounded with this very sensitive, very anxious, very prone to feeling down person. And that definitely had me feeling like I was drowning in, in a lot of different senses of the word. Um, I didn't really have the tools to cope. And it felt like myself and, and my family situation that we were in. We are just being hit with constant blows. um, And you never really had enough time to fully regain your strength before you you were hit down again. So I think at that point, that was really when my mental health started crumbling to a place where it wasn't something I could ignore or kind of run away from. I I had mentioned I did a lot of traveling, and you know I was living in Whistler, BC at the time, and I lived in the most one of the most beautiful places in the world. I would still say that I was engaging in all of my sports. I had a very um, active social life at the time, and I, I seemed to have kind of all these things that people wanted, and I realized that it didn't really matter because my mental health was so at that time. So I remember there was quite a pivotal moment probably um, when I went to kind of a walk-in clinic in this tiny little mountain town and spoke with the you know just regular GP on call and had just said, you know, like I'm I'm already dead. I'm like i my body is here, but I I have left. And I think that was quite an alarming statement in the healthcare community. And I know now with people I work with, if someone were to, were to say that, you know, it is treated with quite a, a deal of care and, and severity. And that really have changed the trajectory of my mental health in terms of this has to be a priority. This isn't something that we can you know, exercise out, or party out, or vacation (laughs) out. Um, It is something that you really need to address. Yeah, thanks for sharing that.
0: Um, I think that statement, along with like, in the profession you're in would kind of be deemed as like a suicide risk, Mm -hmm. if you want to confirm. Yeah, so that's definitely something that needs to be treated with extra care. And I know it like took you a few Years and situations to actually come forward and say that, but that does show great strength. So first of all, good for you.
1: Thanks.
0: And you mentioned a few times as well that you didn't have the tools to cope with it. So are you at a place now where you have some tools, or how did you kind of work through therapy or work through your own inner healing to learn what strategies work best for you?
1: Yeah, I definitely would say now, and I I use this phrase with the people I work with too. It's almost as if you have a toolkit or a toolbox of you know resources that you can pull on in if it's hard moments if it's in your daily routines just really depending but I, I definitely think that you know someone's mental health is really on a continuum like it's never really done in, in terms of the work we're doing um, and that's something that can be really challenging is someone who's in the mental health field as an advocate or, or as someone who's providing care, because, you know, based on your education and your skills, you, you know, the answers. <laughs> so you really think you should be able to live those answers. So whether it's being able to, you know, really challenge the unhelpful thoughts or be self-compassionate, if you're able to, you know, set and upheld boundaries, a really tough one for me, you know. There there are lots of different things that you can use, which I think is kind of a trial and error for a lot of us. You just have to figure out what works. I know with me in terms of trauma and uh, PTSD or CPTSD, EMDR was a type of therapy I received, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which. At first it was a little like hippy-dippy, I thought, you you know, you're being hypnotized and it was definitely outside of the realm of of what I was practicing, but that was hugely impactful in terms of me getting out of that kind of trauma loop and the acute experience of being triggered and and what that could look like in my body in terms of, you know, flashbacks or, or completely dissociating. EMDR was really powerful. And then a lot of the other skills are things that I explore every day, but it's definitely you know, a work in, in progress <laughs> and something that you're constantly figuring out. And I know for myself, something that I have not mastered, and it's probably the thing I notice with my clients that's something that is really common is just how self-critical we are and how hard we are on ourselves. And for so many of us, that is really the block. You know, we have these behaviors that we know how to do. We know to, you know, go for a walk or we know to talk to a friend. Um, but the person that you're spending the most amount of time with is yourself. And if that person is bullying you or putting yourself down. It's really hard for those other tools to connect. So that's definitely something that I still work on and some days are, are better than others. But I, I think that's the overarching theme that I, I notice in my own work that I do on myself and, and the work that I do with clients is just this, you know, permission to be imperfect and to still um, be connected to your value.
0: I actually was just doing a bit of reading on EMDR last week. It is yep. so fascinating. <laughs> it's very and fascinating. I know it's a big form of therapy with trauma specifically and a lot of work has been done around it and it's just so cool to like learn how simple eye movements can connect to like what you're holding on to in your body and then like work on that trauma. It's a really interesting thing to learn more about and Thank you for sharing your kind of self-care activities as well because I think it is such a subjective experience and you need to find what works for you and it's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I guess connecting your personal experience with work. I wanted to ask like since you are such a deep feeling person, how do you kind of balance that professionally like when people might come to you with heavy feelings, how do you actually process that yourself?
1: I think in- another work <laughs> in-, in progress and the one thing that I really try to remind myself of and to maybe combat the self-criticism of I'm really emotionally affected by the people I work with and it it takes a lot out of me and that can have a negative connotation. But I know that it is because I am such a, a deep feeler and an empathetic person that I am as helpful as I am to other people. And, that that is, you know, a strength I have in this profession. So I I first remind myself of that, (laughs) you know, that this isn't a flaw of mine to feel this way. It is really a a strength, especially in the field that I'm in. And then it really has to do with what I do outside of work. Um, In terms of, like, the things that fill my bucket, a lot of it... Has to do with movement, so I'm I'm very into cycling. I'm I'm very into running. I do a lot of yoga, and I find that those activities that I do independently, just out in nature, me myself and I, um, those really rejuvenate me. Um, no one is expecting anything from me. I don't have to say the right things. It's just a time for for Rachel, so. There definitely needs to be a component of that every day for me, and some days definitely have more than others. But there, there needs to be that that space, and an- another thing <laughs> is just the ability to to share with people. So my coworkers at Bounce Back, you know, we have been working remote since the start of the pandemic, um, but I have my one coworker. We Facetime probably almost every day just to check in and debrief, because the type of work we do is is unique. Uh, for confidentiality reasons, I'm not sharing it with my friends and family, but to have someone who understands what it might be like to be on the receiving end of, you know, a cry for help, quite a serious cry for help, it is very comforting and validating just to have those conversations and those connections and to not isolate yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. I think those are three really amazing points. And I'm really happy you brought up the first one, because (laughs) sensitivity and empathy, like, I think they're kind of deemed as negative in the real world, because you can't like get your things done if you're so emotionally impacted by what's going on. But especially in the realm of this work in this field, it is such an asset to have. And it really helps you connect with your clients and build that like relationship. And I just think it's awesome that you can like kind of turn that into your superpower instead of like, have it be something that holds you back. Yeah. And then similarly with like the activities, it's an outlet for you to kind of debrief without actually speaking. It's like whatever you're holding on to, you can physically move yourself. And I'm saying that cause I'm the exact same way. Like yeah. when I'm overwhelmed by anything, like I turn to movement. It's something that I need to do to help me kind of process what's going on. And then the third thing being like, you're, I guess, co-worker support, it's so important to have that and to actually be able to talk about what you're feeling and have that support and make sure that it is with somebody who actually understands those similar feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that piece with the empathy and sensitivity, I don't know if you relate to this, but definitely as a kid, it was, you know, Rachel's so sensitive. She's so sensitive. Like, please stop crying. Like, this isn't a big deal. Like, why are you reacting this way? And even though those were frequently like sentiments shared by people who loved me and who I love, you know, it really led to a lot of shame for how I just naturally would respond to things. And that as I grew older, that shame meant I just wouldn't share how I was feeling and then not sharing and shame would lead to, You know, low mood and anxiety. So, I know there are so many different ways in which these disorders can, you know, develop or show up for a short period of time where it's situational or if it's clinical. I really think often about if my sensitivity was viewed as something different as, you know, a 12 year old girl. And I was taught to maybe leverage that as opposed to quiet it down and to put it away because people don't want to deal with it. I think my overall self-esteem would have looked so much different. Even me now, it's definitely something I'm trying to step into is you know to to accept who I am and to not apologize for that, not try to you know quiet certain pieces of me. So I'm more, you know, digestible or attractive or easy to be around. So I'm, I'm optimistic though, with kind of the way mental health is going now that, you know, potentially the kids that I get to work with now, or, you know, if I were to have kids that they may be raised in an atmosphere where there isn't so much shame around emotions and we, we welcome them and people are allowed to feel, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad or good, but you're able to move through these emotions as opposed to kind of stifle them down. And then they show up in places where we, we really don't want them to show up.
0: It's really interesting that you brought that up because I feel like I had a very similar experience just using a different word. And okay. instead of sensitive, I was called moody all the time. Ooh because similarly, I felt things very deeply. Mm -hmm. But instead of like crying or showing that it affected me, I internalized it and I would just shut down. Mm. So I was always trying to numb anything I was feeling because I just didn't want to show it. And then that got me in trouble. Then I got called moody and kind of just like, turned off from the world and people didn't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And similarly to you, I think I just learned to not share what was going on with me and I would just keep shutting down, shutting down because people weren't comfortable with it. But now I'm at a place like in my mental health journey where I know that that's kind of part of my like black depression cloud that I call it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes when that comes in, like that's just how I respond to it. And I'm very open about that now and just saying like, Today is not a good day for me. I need to just like be by myself or do these things in order to get through it. Mm -hmm. And it's less of like trying to cover that side of me, but just embracing it and using it to my advantage.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious for your experience because this is something that I find challenging. Um, When we give in to those dark clouds, those black clouds, do you ever struggle with the idea that if you give in, it might not go away?
0: Definitely. But I think less now, like it's changing as I like, grow with it, which is obviously a positive thing. But yeah, it can be so hard to like, succumb to those feelings, because they are so heavy and so deep, and they do have such a negative impact on you. But just something like I always reminded myself of is that it's not always bad days. And I do get some good days. So I know that they're not going to last forever. And I know that's hard to actually tell yourself that in the moment, but just trying to like get through one day at a time and just reminding myself of all these little things that matter in the long run. And that will actually like be different the next time I wake up.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really almost like building that muscle of Mm self-trust that you believe that you will get through it more than you believe that depression is going to rule your life forever. Um, And yeah, I think that's something I'm probably coming into now, but I was so resistant to as a kid because I, you know, wasn't really comfortable being myself. So how am I going to trust that I'm going to get through this or this is going to pass? Yeah. And it's
0: definitely not all sunshines and rainbows. Like I'm not saying every time I have a bad day, I'm like, yep, this will be fine. Like sometimes I definitely do turn to some old negative habits. Like I'm not going to lie about that, but it's a learning experience. And I like how you said it's a muscle because yeah. with time you kind of just like understand your illness or your experience, the way you feel, whatever it is more mm-hmm. and learn to kind of like make the best out of a shitty situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I I definitely use that muscle analogy with my clients too. Just if we're working on a new skill or a new behavior, you know, the expectation is not that you're going to go like run a marathon on day one. Yeah. I typically compare it to some sort of physical activity <laughs> because that that's easy for people to get. Right. Or if you're going to the gym, which I am so not gym savvy, so I can't even make <laughs> it <like>, appropriate reference. <laughs> but if you're going to lift a certain amount of weight, maybe, you know, you're not going to lift the most on the first day, right? You have to build this, this confidence and this trust in your body and in your mind. And I think that maybe one of the most frustrating things with mental health is that it's not a quick fix or like an easy mm-hmm. solution. Um, and even if we think of medication, medication is not like a, a problem solver in the full scope. And we really have to be so patient and diligent with the really kind of mundane, unsexy tasks of, you know, showering and and sleeping and eating food that fuels you. And I think that makes it really hard for people to work on their mental health and maintain that work. Because it is, it's really challenging. And it happens in baby steps, as opposed to like really exciting, monumental shifts.
0: Yeah, I love that analogy. And it's something that changes every day too. like,
1: You're constantly
0: learning, but then new days bring new challenges. And some days might be great. Some days might be awful. And there's external situations impacting you that you have no control over. Mm
1: -hmm. So it really
0: is just kind of going with the flow and taking things one day, one situation at a time and just learning how to kind of resort to that toolbox that you've built on your good days when you need it.
1: Yeah. I was even thinking yesterday, I just had a thought probably because we were having our conversation today and, you know, I had had a particularly rough few weeks, I guess, in terms of my mental health and even the intimidation of having a conversation with you, or I had a conversation a few weeks ago on a different podcast around, you know, who am I to talk about this when, you know, I'm still very much in the throes of, of mental illness at times, but I just thought if I have it all figured out, I would be dead. (laughs) And I don't mean that in like a morbid suicidal way, just that as long as I'm here and I'm living and I'm experiencing things, I'm going to constantly be figuring things out and I'm not going to end at a finish line until I go into the next life. Um, And that gave me a bit of comfort in that, yeah, you don't have to have it all figured out. and along that sentiment, my my therapist had actually helped me a lot with some kind of imposter syndrome I was feeling. Um, because when you're working in the mental health field and you're also struggling with your mental health, quite often what you're telling other people, you just so desperately wish you could believe for yourself. Yeah. And it really like <laughs> creates uh, some turmoil in your head when you can hear these words you're saying and you just they're not connecting for you, but they're connecting for other people and, and they're thanking you for this session and they're telling you they're feeling better. You're sitting there like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) I just, it's not like hitting for me today. Um, But my therapist had said, you know, if you think about a basketball team, like there are some really incredible coaches that were never professional players. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like, tell me more. She's like, some of the best coaches just aren't the best at playing the game, but they're really good at leading and guiding and supporting. And, you know, for people in this field, you know, sometimes we're just a really good coach (laughs) and it can be hard to get out on the court (laughs) and play (laughs) for ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we're not a good coach or that we're any less than, it's just there's a certain set of skills and we're not always going to be the best at everything. So that's given me a little bit of relief in terms of my job and that, you know, I'm not paid to be someone with perfect mental health. That's not my job. Um, You know, my job is to deliver these skills and to support, you know, participants, clients through their own journey. And it can be easy to, and blur those lines and to hold yourself to a really high standard. Um, so I'm, I'm really trying to kind of soften that <laughs> as I, I move through, you know, my own mental health and the mental health of the people I work with.
0: Yeah, uh, I try so hard to, like, be honest about my mental health journey on this podcast and on social media, too. But some days, like, I'll just look at myself and be like, the one thing I say is I feel like such a fraud. Because Mm. I know I'm struggling like behind closed doors. And even though I'm going to try as hard as I can to be honest about it, like it's, it's not the same. And I know you can relate to that. But sometimes Mm. I'm just like, what am I doing? I don't have anything figured out. I'm not using the positive coping mechanisms. (laughs) I'm turning to negative things. It's like, why am I in this position? Who gave me a microphone? Yeah, but um, Yeah, it's something that I like what you said, like life is not supposed to be black and white. Everybody has different qualities and traits to them. And like the human experience is full of emotions, full of new experiences. And I think these things kind of help us like figure out our path or what we're meant to actually be doing.
1: Yeah. And I think that for me as like a viewer of your content and other mental health advocates content, what helps me is when you post on the days where you're having a bad day mm-hmm. and you know, whatever you have to say about that, because I think, as you say, like everything is black and white, either we're in this pit of despair or we're thriving and like only eating and drinking green things and, and exercising mm-hmm. all the time. And I think it's so powerful to have a conversation about mental health where there's both because there always is both. Um, you know, even for me, I would say I'm a very happy person. I just also have clinical depression, but I'm a very happy person, you know, like, and both can exist. I love that quote. Like, <laughs> I, I truly am, like, my personality, I'm, like, bubbly, I, I, you know, it's it's not something I'm putting on, but the other part of me is also very much me. Yeah. Um, And I try to let both of those, those things exist. (laughs) And that people that know me know that I'm both of those things, (laughs) you know, that some days I'm going to be there to do all the fun things and have the best time and be everyone's, you know, best hype woman. That's, that's my job a lot of the time. (laughs) And, you know, other times I'll forget to text you back for a week because I just, that's too much responding yeah. to a text message is too much and you know both can exist and Ooh. both make up me and I'm you know on the path of accepting that fully but you know I see your smile I so see it kind of connects with you, <laughs> so, you know, oh yeah more than one thing and that is part of our worth is something that I'm trying to you know connect to and just let be
0: Yeah, and something I say all the time is that like something that helped me in the beginning of my healing journey, I guess was like, I learned to grow with my illness instead of against it. And I think that's aligned to what you're saying is because I tried like, to really embrace that side of me rather than like, see myself as two separate people. Like there's this depressed side of me, and then there's this happy, positive, outgoing girl. And I tried to, like, like, like bring them yes. together um, and just, like, embrace them as who I am. And that's, like, something that just makes me whole.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Even though we probably spend so much time, you know, cursing the things we have to deal with <laughs> and, like, the, oh, yeah. you know, the things our mind puts us through, I definitely think I am so much better a person because of, like, my experiences with depression and anxiety the level of empathy I have, the level of, I think, gratitude I have for the really small things, um, I, I wouldn't be able to access those parts of the human experience if I didn't also experience, you know, the, the not so nice parts. Um, and like you said, it kind of makes us, makes us us and it makes us whole and interesting <laughs> and relatable. So, you know, you just kind of have to celebrate that.
0: Absolutely. And I know a lot of people have a hard time kind of saying that their trauma or what they went through made them stronger, because they might not be at that place in their journey, or they just don't see it that way. And that's also completely valid. I think mm-hmm. sometimes people look at me weird for like, you you like what you go through, or like you, <laughs> you're grateful for those hard times. And like, I can honestly say yes, because yeah. I'm in such a different place than I was six, seven years ago. But that girl would have been like, Fuck no, I I don't want to be here. There's all these things happening to me and I hated it. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it just goes back to saying that it life is such a journey, it's such a complex experience because so many things happen all the time and we're constantly learning, we're constantly growing. But then some days we're also falling, we're breaking Mm -hmm. and that's okay too. It's just kind of learning how to like find that balance and get through day to day.
1: Yeah. And I, I think the sentiment everything happens for a reason can be quite polarizing like in any scenario um, particularly with mental health and when I say I'm glad I I have gone through what I've gone through I am Um, when I think about like the people around me like what my brother had to go through the idea of like that happened for a reason I don't I can't accept because some of these experiences that we go through in terms of trauma or in terms of the struggles of our loved ones as well, it's so hard to accept that and to wrap our heads around that. And, you know, there's radical acceptance and there's tools for getting through that. Um, but I try to just think of, okay, well, this is what has happened. So what can I do with it? You know, and I'm not always going to be grateful for it. Um but, you know, my, my brother went through what he went through, and I probably wouldn't be where I am now without it. So I'm I'm thankful for where I am. But I think for, you know, listeners or friends, I'm not saying that everything bad happened for, for a reason. <laughs> and, you know, you should be so grateful for whatever you're going through. Um, I think we just have to keep our eyes forward <laughs> and... You know, connected to some version of of hope that you know this will get a bit easier. Um, there will be some sort of sense that we can like derive from our pain,
0: yeah, I love that you said that because that saying especially can mean different things to different people, and even the same person can view that saying in different ways, like maybe your brother's mm-hmm. addiction was not something that you believed happened for any good reason, but what you went through kind of like. Built you into this person that you are today, and you wouldn't be where you are without what you had experienced. Yeah. So kind of just like moving forward on that path, like you said, but like having an idea of what made you stronger, what put you in the position that you're in today, and kind of like honoring that side and those struggles that you overcame, because it truly is like remarkable, especially in the mental health sense, like to come so far and then to look back at kind of some of those demons that held you back so much.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: So I know we wanted to talk a bit about Bounce Back. So do you want to just briefly tell us a little bit about that program and kind of what your role entails as a coach?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I would first say that you can go to bouncebackontario.ca for all of this information and to, you know, get started if you want to. Um, so Bounce Back is a, a free cognitive behavioral therapy program. Um, It's available online and through physical workbooks that you would work through. So there is a self-help focus where participants are working through modules and and workbooks in their own time. And when you are referred to this program, you are eligible for six coaching sessions. So you'd be matched up with a coach. That is the role I play. And you would be working through these books independently in your own time. And then you would almost have checkpoints with this coach who would be reviewing the materials, would be reviewing any challenges that maybe came up for you, any problems. If you got stuck, especially as you move through the program, there is a focus on application. So when we begin the program, it's a lot around awareness and just reflecting and connecting to what your mental health looks like, maybe where some challenges lie, where some, you know common issues stem from but we really shift gears into this application and and action phase and I find that is when the coach can be almost this accountability guide because we are, are really wanting participants to to practice these skills and to see the impact of them and to bring up any challenges so we can problem solve with them and make these skills work like toolbox that I talk about building, you know, it's different for everyone. And, you know, even for me, like I may run and do yoga, I would say maybe most, a lot of people aren't going to run and do yoga. So it's kind of about how can you apply these mental health formulas to, to you. Um, So the program on average takes about six months, you can refer online, which I think is a really incredible um, quality of the program that you can you know refer from your own laptop from your own phone and it is completely free which is such a, a barrier for mental health care um, So it's you know a free CBT program it takes about six months to do it you'll always have access to the resources which I know is a question I, I hear a lot from people I work with is you know will I be able to reread things will I be able to revisit the content? And you always are able to. Um, so even though the coaching period is, you know, finite, just because the program is, is free and we have a lot of people we want to help, um, the resources are, are yours to always go back to. So, you know, the continuum of your mental health will go in a positive direction.
0: And do you treat all ages or is there a limit on that?
1: Yeah, so Bounce Back is available 15 and up right now um so I work with people 15 I also work with people in their 80s so there's really no limitations that way
0: nice yeah I think it's an incredible program I was doing some research online too and it's just it's kind of like a mix between that independent learning where you give them the workbook and they can go through what they want to go through and then they have to come check in with you and kind of discuss things with a professional. so I think it gives them a little bit of that like leniency to kind of take it at their own pace but then also to like be held accountable for their progress
1: yeah and I, I like like you mentioned the leniency because that definitely is a part of it is that you know they're doing it with no one else watching and even though that may be easy in a lot of ways I find that I also get to work with people who like are really invested in change that they want to happen um you know, for someone who may be going to psychotherapy once a week, and they're sitting in a therapist's office. And I think of me as a teenager, I don't know if I'd be talking that much, I probably didn't really want to be there. (laughs) I felt uncomfortable. Um, And, you know, even though you're at therapy, you may not be receiving therapy, where with bounce back, you're really taking accountability for the work, you're doing it on your own, and then you're picking up these phone calls from from a coach, and it's free, you're not paying for it, you know, it's no harm, no foul, really, Um, but it allows people to be really empowered that, yeah, I am being responsible for my mental health, and I am putting in the work, you know, and it's only for me, right, I'm not doing this to satisfy someone else, or because I'm going into debt to, you know, do this thing, Um, I'm doing it because i deserve to feel better. Yeah, that's such an amazing resource. And I think that like balance between the two is key,
0: because you really like take ownership for your healing, and you can kind of apply it in whatever way works best with your life. And I know when life is busy or expensive, you don't want to be paying for therapy sessions, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not invested in it, you can kind of like make it into your routine at home. And it's not something you need to go and pay for leave your house, like you can just do it from the comfort of your own home, which I think is also a plus, especially after the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the word routine. And if anyone listening ends up in the Bounce Back program, <laughs> you're going to be hearing the word routine a lot. So just get get used to it, love it, live it. <laughs> because we, we definitely focus a lot on, on that consistency and, you know, building yourself up and being able to maintain habits as well. Amazing. Well,
0: I guess wrapping up, um, kind of broad question, but what does mental health advocacy mean to you? And kind of what's your goal for the future, given your personal and professional experience?
1: Um, well, mental health advocacy, even though I'm talking to you right now, is something that makes me quite uncomfortable, because I am quite shy, actually. Um, and even though I've, I've shared a a few tidbits, kind of on my own social media, and I always am quite nervous before I do it. Every time I do, I probably get like about five messages from people that I don't even really know that well, but that thank me for sharing, or you know, it resonated with them. They made them think of someone. They wanted to help someone, and that is why I keep talking about it um, for those those few people um, who you know, I I make myself feel a little silly for, but because I don't want people to feel alone, which I think with mental health advocacy for me, it's really just like lifting the veil off what the human experience is. It doesn't need to be gatekept in terms of what tools work for you or, you know, what your bad days look like. I think if we just get things out in the open, and really just allow the stigma to disintegrate, resources are going to be so much more accessible for people. Because I I think right now, even though when I think of even mental health 10 years ago, we've come so far, but the shame and stigma is still pretty strong. So I think the more it can just be a normal thing that people talk about and that people care about, like we care about taking care of our physical bodies, um, people will just be able to feel better, which I think is kind of what I want as you know a mental health advocate is just to make people feel safe, to express how they feel, and to make people aware that they can feel better and maybe connect them with things that make them feel better.
0: It was such a well-rounded answer. I think you touched on everything. Um, But it is so scary to put yourself out there and to have these conversations on public or social media platforms because you, like, are so vulnerable and you're sharing, like, the darkest or deepest parts of you that a lot of people don't even tell their closest friends. Mm -hmm. So it is a huge step to take, and it's so easy to kind of feel those, like, does anybody really care who am I to talk or people are going to make fun of me for saying these things or judge me. But when you get those few messages or when you actually see a direct impact on the people in your community, it is so incredibly rewarding and reassuring that what you said mattered and people could actually like use that and positively impact like their own lives or their loved ones lives. And I think it's just community and sharing our experiences is such a powerful way of
1: connecting with one another. Yeah. And to speak on the community piece, like people are lonely right now. We're multiple years into a pandemic. We are lonely people. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you can connect, just the the better. So if it's, you know, sharing your story or, you know, just being there for people, um, I think that's what we need more of right now, more vulnerability more compassion and just that community piece. Mm -hmm. I like what you
0: said too about kind of taking off the human veil, because I think that's exactly what this is. And like wraps this up amazingly is just that like for so long, we were always trying to put up these faces, these facades, these images of ourselves to meet a standard or to appear in this perfect way, which doesn't really exist. But taking off that veil kind of just gives us the opportunity to show who we are and like how life affects us and actually show that like it's okay to have these parts of us that don't meet the perfect standard.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and even in how I feel in the last, you know, hour talking with you, even though I have been quite <laughs> vulnerable, I would say, <laughs> I feel more confident in myself than I did an hour ago. And I think that's kind of the beauty of sharing and being vulnerable is that it can be scary but the the benefits are are so much more and that's you know even in just this conversation with you
0: that makes me so happy i'm so glad to (laughs) hear that and that sharing your story and coming on this podcast was a positive experience for you and hopefully knowing that it's going to have a positive impact on anybody listening as well so Thank you so very much for taking time out of your day to come talk to me. This has been awesome. And I feel like we related on a lot of things, (laughs) but I mean, even just knowing that you and I related, like imagine how many other people now are gonna be able to relate to this. And I think that just sums up what that community looks like and how positive these impacts can really be. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure getting to put a face (laughs) to the social media profile.
0: I'm not lying when I say that I'm a very happy person. I just also have clinical depression is my new favorite quote because I feel like that sums me up perfectly. And I want that in my Instagram bio. I want it on my tombstone. I'm going to use it in every icebreaker I do moving forward. And I know it's kind of like a joke, but I feel like it really is something that a lot of people can relate to because, well, especially coming from my background and Rachel's background with clinical depression, it's kind of a unique mental illness wherein you you can be yourself you can have those good days and be that happy bubbly person but then when this dark cloud comes over you you kind of lose some of that and are taken over by these feelings and depending on where you're at in your mental health journey like I know seven years ago when I was first going through it I would never be able to say this I would be like depression is going to ruin my entire life I'm never going to get out of this dark hole that I'm in But now looking back, I can kind of see that bright side, and I just think so much of what we talked about today kind of highlights that, like, everything happens for a reason, quote, but also just learning to make the most out of your shitty experiences, and I know I say that all the time in these episodes, but I feel like that's, like, such a theme and something I really want to emphasize on this platform because... So many of us go through so much shit, whether it be personal, whether it be family, interpersonal relationships, or just world situations like we're in right now. We're all impacted differently, but we're also all impacted as a whole. And in order to like take off that veil, like we said, we need to be able to talk about these experiences and accept ourselves that it's okay to not be okay, but also to show others that they're not alone and what they're going through, I'm also going through, so... I don't have to isolate myself and feel like this cloud is just over my head because it could also be haunting other people's lives thousands of miles away right next door to me or whatever. So I don't know, like (laughs) we talked about so much in this episode, but like community is just something I always come back to because when we share stories, when we let other people into those vulnerable and deep and dark and maybe even joyous and happy spaces that we have we like allow ourselves to really experience the full human experience, which is complicated. It's both super, super happy and super, super sad. It's everything in between. And I know in my very first episode, when we talked about mental health versus mental illness, we kind of described mental health as laying on a spectrum. And then there's the dual spectrum. So it's kind of like a continuum. And all of this information comes from jack.org, which is a resource I frequent often for mental health education, and these spectrums kind of just emphasize that your mental health fluctuates day to day, situation to situation, and you can have a mental illness but be thriving, but then you can also be suffering and not have a mental illness because it might be a situational factor that has you down. And there are just so many things that impact how we're feeling at every second of the day, and. Yes, mental health is like a broad scope of many different things, but also it can be very individualized and subjective. And we need to kind of take all that into account when talking about mental health and mental illness because there's a lot to know, there's a lot to consider. And it's just a whole complex topic that hopefully we're breaking down episode by episode on this podcast and many other well being, psychology, self help podcasts, social media platforms out there. So, keep consuming this kind of content. Hopefully if it's helping you, sorry, I'm not trying to like say listen to my podcast, but if it's helping, I'm so happy to hear that. If you related to Rachel's story, I'm so happy to hear that. And if you're able to take some positives away, I love that. And that's really all I want to do on this podcast. So thank you to everybody who took time to listen to this episode. It means the whole entire world to me. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, get some sun, and I will be back next Friday.